from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a priority for businesses who want to retain staff and prevent burnout, this is the source of information for creating sustainable and psychologically healthy workplaces in Canada. So welcome to Psych Health and Safety in Canada. Today, I'm especially pleased to be able to welcome somebody who I first ran into uh, almost 10 years ago. And Catherine Gordon um, inspired so much of what we did with the organization Mindful Employer Canada. And I would say that the executive director, Sarah Jenner, would say that Catherine Gordon continues to inspire and influence um, what that organization can do. Catherine is um, in HR, but that is a very um, tiny bit of all the things that she does. So I'm going to ask you, Catherine, to introduce yourself to our listeners and to talk about the journey that you've made to where you are today. Thank you so much uh, for letting me be here. Um, I'm Catherine Gordon. I'm currently the Director of People and Culture at Canuck Place Children's Hospice, going on four years now. Um, I'm from Northern Ireland originally. Um, I ended up working in EHR in London, UK. So I worked there for eight years. I worked for some major law firms before going into my passion, which is nonprofit. And I worked for the Medical Alert Foundation there before emigrating to Canada in 2005. And I worked in the technology uh, sector um, for a gaming company for three years. And my psychological health journey, I say, would start there because there was a downturn in the economy and we had to do substantial layoffs, of which I was one. So kind of managing people's mental health through that transition process and recognizing there's grief when you lose your role, especially when you're passionate about where you worked and cared for your colleagues. And then I moved to the BC College of Teachers, which is nonprofit, which is a regulatory body. And we would investigate some serious allegations of child abuse in that organization and how to support teachers that are experiencing severe physical and mental health issues as well. So again, it continued that journey. And then I ended up leaving there after three years and working for the David Sasuke Foundation for seven years, which was a wonderful organization. And again, exploring the mental health capacity of our employees who are experiencing grief, watching the global news cycle, um, thinking about how their work maybe felt that it wasn't making the impact that they wanted. And we even have a community there where we talked about environmental grief and how to support each other through that. Before I came to Canuck Place four years ago, that supports uh, children and families in some of the most difficult moments of their life. Um, so we support from pre-birth diagnosis to graduation of our program at 20. Um, we support over 830 families across the BC and Yukon. So it's been a, a journey, but I feel that HR does encompass all of these things because we're really just here as a privilege to support employees in every workplace that we're in. I think um, the best HR does exactly that, uh, Catherine. And I think uh, it's unfortunate that not everyone without designation would be described as such. But uh, you certainly um, am, are an amazing role model. And the breadth of 
experiences that you've had um, really add to what you have to offer. But let's start with your most recent role, which, you know, to work in a hospice where children um, are going to pass away and supporting the families, I would think that your employees can't help but be affected by the work. How do you protect the psychological safety of your employees now? So I would say what we try to do is offer extensive policies where people feel safe to come forward proactively before they reach crisis or burnout. Um, we really encourage people to take the time off. So we have generous leave policies for vacation. We have wellness days that are mandatory that you're expected to take annually. And um, we've seen employees use that actually for the passing in their own personal lives. So maybe it's the anniversary of when they lost a parent or it's that parent's birthday. And it's not really covered under anything else, but they take that time off and to honor that individual. It's really, I think, promoting safety. So it's telling employees we have the expectation that this work is going to take a toll and we're here to support them in that journey throughout. We're all human beings. If it didn't take an emotional toll, it would be very strange and exceptional. And that would be a concern to us, actually. But when I talk about the work of a hospice, I think what's often missing is how joyous it can be. You know, you celebrate every moment and at the hospice, it's covered in Christmas lights from as soon as possible to the end. Every opportunity to celebrate the small moments in life of being together, recognizing all our employees have their own families and really supporting them to take time to be with them and to care for themselves, I think is really important. You know, it's an interesting thing that you've brought forward because when I think about the best work experiences that I have either had myself or been involved with as a consultant, it is often those workplaces that celebrate all the time, that see the joy in the effort and not just measuring outcomes or outputs, but they celebrate the fact that they're a team, that they're working together and as you bring up that when you're in a difficult place and you can learn to celebrate, it's so much better. When I was talking to um, Deb from Connect Place, um, I remember thinking that's how I deal with grief is I continually feel grateful for what the people I have lost brought to my life, as opposed to feeling um, bad once I've gone through my grief um, in the beginning, feeling bad about what I lost, turning it to be grateful for what I have. And I think that's what you're describing in the workplace. When you have somebody that isn't identifying their own burnout, their own exhaustion, their own grief in the workplace, what do you do? So I think it, it ties back into probably more functional aspect of HR, which is we really encourage regular check-ins. So you start to get to know the person before they reach that point. 
And we've actually seen managers and colleagues go, I'm worried about this person because I can see it's taking a toll and they haven't recognized it yet. And even just saying to someone, I can see there's a difference. Are you okay? You know, this is how it's affecting me, especially during COVID as well. That was really became even more important. But I think that's where we look at it, where we're building those meaningful people connections, whether it's in person or via Zoom, where we get to know somebody before that point. So we can recognize and talk to them about it when sometimes they haven't even seen it for themselves yet and give them permission. So even saying to them, you know, this is why we have pets that leave. This is why we have wellness days. This is why you have vacation. You know, take some time away and giving them permission to do that without feeling guilty as well. I think we see that particularly in my workplace where people feel, well, if I go away, somebody else has to be physically at, at my workplace to support in my role. And letting them know we rather want them here long term. We want them to be healthy and well and be with us for years, not burn out in a couple of months because they feel too guilty to take time off when they need it. Have you ever been in workplaces, Catherine, where that is not the attitude of managers and leaders? It's, you know, this whole issue right now that's being talked about, this quiet quitting. And um, I've been asked my opinion and I say, well, that's what we've been trying to say is don't hustle all the time. Don't feel like you have to do 200% all the time. Just do what you're paid to do so that in the long term, you'll be able to be fresh and focused and produce quality work. But there's others who are saying, well, that's ridiculous. We need everybody to be more engaged and more enthusiastic, and they have to always be wanting to go the extra mile. So -hmm. when you have that kind of manager, um, that kind of leader, how would you speak to them? I think it's an education piece, which uh, I'll plug Mindful Leader in here as well. It's it's been a really great program at Connect Place to have those conversations. I've definitely worked in workplaces where it's been, we have to physically see you. um, We have to see the 12 hours that you're doing. And it's all about hours and visibility rather than productivity and quality. And I think if you really want engaged staff, you have to recognize we're not robots, we're human beings. And to be honest, there's going to be days when you're you're just not feeling it and you can't focus, especially if people have had COVID. Some of the long-term symptoms have been COVID fog. And how do you give people permission to do maybe more maintenance work on those days and really stick to their hours? And then when they are excited and engaged and can focus, they'll go above and beyond. And they need to be healthy and while they need to have rest away from the workplace, I think especially in healthcare, They need that time away. They need that substantial paid leave in order to come back refreshed and recharged to show up for families and children as needed. So I think the two link together really well. And we're really trying to model leadership. So if you're on vacation, you're not answering emails, you're not popping into meetings. We can't survive without you. You need to take that time away. So we know that you're really present when you do come back. And that quiet quitting isn't that actually just work like balance isn't that what we're we all want to strive for so that we work to be with family especially in this workplace where it's all about family why wouldn't we want you to be with your family in your personal life and then when you're at work be fully focused on what you have to do here Mm -hmm. I think the title 
quiet quitting is quite misleading because if I was a hospice worker who quietly quit caring about people, quietly quit trying to do my best um, while I was at work, that would be disastrous. So how do you balance what these leaders are afraid of that people just don't care anymore? They're not going to try and do a good job. How, what advice would you have for managers who want to strike that reasonable balance between not being stressed and hustling all the time, but also not being disengaged and not doing a good job? I think it's the regular check-ins. We have a lot of career conversations that can up place as well. So like setting that time aside to really talk to the person over what they want. And I think if you're worried about somebody not being productive or engaged at work, maybe they're in the wrong role. Maybe they're in the wrong organization. Maybe it's the wrong time. My experience has been anybody that's in an organization they care deeply about or doing a job that they really love, regardless of what company they're for, they will show up. They will do all those things. You don't need to monitor it. You don't need to micromanage it. And if you're seeing somebody disengaging, what else is going on for them? Is something going on at home? Is something personal going on? Are they having health issues? Are they just burnt out? What's happened that they've lost their love of the job? And that doesn't mean that they're a high level, 100% or 110% every moment of the day. It means that you can see consistently that they're enjoying the work that they're doing. And if that enjoyment has gone, what's causing that? Mm-hmm. So um, what some people will say, now you've been in a lot of jobs and workplaces where people are passionate. But what about those where they're just mundane, everyday jobs? They're things that just need to get done, but there's not the big push for or passion for it. How do you help those people um, that are doing work that really maybe is not considered something they're passionate about? Again, I think. It really depends on the individual. Is this a career for them? Is it just a job for them? Are they doing it well? Are they not doing it well? And it's having those conversations to really understand what motivates them. There's a lot of roles where we need people to be really consistent. And we know it's not really exciting work, but is there an opportunity for them to volunteer on committees where they can bring a different perspective, where they can support in a different way? Do they even want that? Unless there's a performance issue, I think those people are equally valuable. And if you don't have some of those building blocks of administration, the organization couldn't function anyway. So I don't know there are roles where people, I think there needs to be a shift. Everybody's valued. If that person wasn't there, there'd be something missing or you wouldn't have that position in the first place. That's right. And being able to make sure that individual knows how they contribute, that they're not made to feel that it's less than. And I mean, I've often told the story about my mom being a janitor who was so well respected and valued in the school where she cleaned that she felt great about the work that she did. But I also had somebody who was working for me, and I remember years ago trying to find out what their passion was, what were they excited about, and I felt like I couldn't figure it out, and then I did figure it out. It was their family. 
It was not their work. They did a good job. They were consistent. They always showed up. And the work was not their passion. And they didn't want it to be. And once I figured it out, then I could understand how to reward them, how to respect them, how to help them to feel like they did a good job and that they just kept coming back every day doing that consistently good job. But as somebody who gets excited about my work, I made the mistake of thinking everybody should feel that way. Yeah, I've had some conversations recently um, where people have said you're really lucky that you feel that way about your work and that you feel that way about where you work. And I think it's really sad if people don't, but I also recognize not everybody has that luxury either. A lot of people work to live and often they don't have that same passion for what they're doing, but it doesn't mean they can't do a good job or feel recognized and supported and want to stay where they are. Right. Or even if they don't want to stay, even if this is an entry-level job and they're doing it, that we can make the best experience out of that entry-level job. Um, Catherine, when we talk about, you know, people are humans, they're not robots, they're going to have bad days. And where do you draw the line where it's not acceptable? So I think we have obviously respectful workplace policies. Um, we also have informal conflict resolution model where we have the expectation that two people can talk to each other. And I think what we do is always try and approach it with kindness. So if you've had a consistent experience with someone and then suddenly something happens, I mean, these things happen. People can have bad days. Approach it with kindness first. Also consider each other's communication style. So I've had people that, you know, we want to get sorted out right away. You know, we just had this terrible interaction. Let's go into a room and, you know, hash it out and get back on track. And then other people are like, if we do that, it's going to get worse. <laughs> you need to give me a couple of days or a week, and then I can come with positive energy to engage with you. And I think that's also the role of managers and HR to be a support. So if people don't feel comfortable doing that, how can we support them and give them tools like Mindful Leader to have those difficult conversations and approach it with kindness and depersonalize it. Obviously, disrespectful behavior, racist behavior or comments is not tolerated. And there's immediate follow-up to that. But my experience has been, it's been more people are in a bad place, whether something's happened that day personally or professionally, or they're burnt out and then they're not showing up as their best selves. And then they regret it afterwards as well. Mm-hmm. So you would respond immediately and hold them accountable to change that behavior? I think to just, there already are processes in place to help them deal with it themselves without it ever reaching me. Mm-hmm. But I'm there always as a support and I always approach it with kindness. So I'd also say to our staff, if someone's having difficulty and they approach me, it doesn't mean I'm going to fire the other person. Or it doesn't mean their person's going to get in trouble or they're going to get in trouble. It's more I'm here as a resource, again, with that caring piece to help them sort it out together and to give them both tools to talk through it so they reach a positive conclusion. It's never meant to penalize people or or make them feel bad about what's happened. It's really to help them move forward and not dwell on the past to a better working relationship. And you don't have to like everybody you work with, but you do have to respect them. 
and care for them in terms of not making them feel bad in the workplace either. So it's trying to reach those conclusions together. Yeah, very good. Very, very good. In terms of staffing, this is a huge issue for many people right now and has been through the pandemic. How do you deal with shortages of people, especially because you're talking about encouraging days off and yet you need a certain amount of coverage? How do you manage that? I think you have to uh, work very closely with your chief financial officer and all your managers to really look at what staffing needs are and to budget appropriately. I think COVID's created a lot of issues, especially in healthcare. Obviously, anybody with any type of symptoms can't come into a physical workplace. And for us, that meant there were a lot of positions that had to work, could not work remotely, but had to take time off. So in March 2020, we immediately implemented paid COVID leave of up to 14 days at that point. So staff weren't worried if they needed to be away, that they wouldn't get paid or that their sick time would decrease dramatically really quickly. We offered generous paid sick leave as well, recognizing that is a piece that people have no control over. So they could take paid time off, recognizing that they couldn't come into the hospice with those symptoms. And what we were talking about earlier as well, we have housekeeping and food services staff. So it's almost like in many hotels. So we have the housekeeping staff that clean the hospice. And then we have food services that prepare family-led meals for our staff in-house and for families. And we realized how essential those people were as well. And what, what could we do without them? And before volunteers would come in and support if there was a shortage, but they were no longer permitted into the hospices during COVID. So we did cross-training. We had people who could work remotely coming in to find out how to clean properly in the event the housekeeping staff couldn't come in for whatever reason. So they have permission to take the time away that they needed. And I think it's trying to really look at, it's a marathon, not a sprint, is what our director of clinical program always says. If we have to make decisions about respite, the families would rather our staff were there long-term than they were there short-term and burnt down, or they weren't delivering the quality of care that was expected and required. So it's an ongoing juggling act, to be honest, working with those teams to make sure there's adequate coverage, but that people do get the time away that they need to recover in between without guilt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as you said in the very beginning, it's about... Um, speaking to the people who have the purse strings to say, yeah, a minimum staffing isn't going to do it when we know that people are going to need time off, right? So, I mean, we have, we're really fortunate. We've had people that have been with us for over 20 years. Um, we go up to a maximum of 45 paid days off. So you have to factor that into your scheduling across the year. And I know one of our managers said this is the first year she's actually able to take her vacation time and really enjoy it because we were planning appropriately to make sure there was coverage. And I'm not saying she wasn't missed or it wasn't difficult at times not having those essential people there, but they deserve their time off. And we have those policies in place for a reason. So you're really trying to make sure that people do take what they're, what they're owed, what they're able to take and actually feel well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that, and important that uh, you manage it in the way that you did. Um, I'm also thinking, Catherine, you brought up the issue of um, environmental grief. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that goes even beyond those who work for David Suzuki to many people, um, especially our younger employees who just look at climate change, pollution, um, destruction of, you know, natural areas and feel real anxiety about it. What's your suggestion to manage that? I think what we really looked at, at David Suzuki that applies to the world in general is recreating that connection to nature. So I think we've seen that a lot during COVID too, when people were trapped in their homes. This being able to have a garden or get art into a local park meant so much to people. And at the hospice, we have these beautiful gardens and families and children speak a lot about how important it is to have that natural space and we're part of a green leaders group um, that looks at healthcare and how to be more, it can be more environmentally friendly. And they've done research on even saying nature or a tree from your hospital window can have a real impact on your healing. So I think it's looking at it from a more positive perspective, what's actually happening. People are really concerned about the environment and feeling that connection to nature. And how do you continue to grow that connection one-to-one? So you remember you can't solve the global issues that are affecting us right now, and there's so many, but you can nurture that tomato plant. You can feel that connection to nature because we'll protect what we care about instead framing it that way so that it's a more positive message of hope. Yeah, that's beautiful. It actually sounds like mindfulness, right? We Absolutely. Can, we can worry about the past or we can worry about the future or we can be in the present moment where there's very little that's seriously wrong in this present moment and can we uh, not in a global way but for an individual uh, yeah do you use mindfulness and I know mindful um, leader mindful employer isn't about mindfulness practices but that idea of mindfulness is it used in your workplace it is we have um a partnership with an organization called TEND, where they look at psychological protection equipment um, for your mind, essentially. And they offer a lot of programs looking at mindfulness. Um, we've used an app called Helium, where you go on a journey, and I highly recommend it. It's a free app you can use on your phone, and you see butterflies grow, and you kind of watch a visual. And we did try and do a pilot with them. I think it wasn't the right time because of COVID, where you could put on a headset and then you're at the beach or you're in the forest and it just gives you a couple of moments away from the workplace just for you to think uh, and to use those tools to really reflect and meditate and to feel better. I'm also really privileged that my colleague who works in HR is doing a master's in counseling and she's also run a couple of programs looking at meditation and support for our employees um, and what that can look like because she's bringing that learning back into the organization. Mm -hmm. I mean, even, you know, 15 years ago, if we were talking about this kind of stuff, people would think we're woo-woo, right? It's just, this isn't a workplace stuff. This is for those, you know, as somebody called me one time, Catherine, a granola crunching Birkenstock wearing do-gooder. And the thing is, 
I do wear those shoes sometimes and I don't mind granola. So, and I do like to do good. So I wasn't really offended, but I was quite amused because it was like, that's not business. That's not professional. If you're just worried about employee well-being, like that's just something that's done off on the side. And uh, in your experience, so really starting in the UK and then into Canada, how have you seen the idea of psychological health and safety evolve? When did you even first learn that concept? I think it probably was at the David Sisiki Foundation. Um, I was aware of it, and maybe not by those terms, when I worked at the BC College of Teachers, and we were discussing how to look after our investigators, given the nature of what they were looking at and how to protect the children. Often hearings would be held actually at our physical workplace, dealing with some very sensitive subjects. So how to protect the children and the teachers and our staff involved in those pieces. I think at David Suzuki, it really came more to the forefront because of this idea that you'd work in something for five years and then a law would pass on a Friday afternoon and five years of your work would just be gone because that endangered animal was no longer termed endangered or wherever it might be. So I think it really came up there and working in HR, obviously you're in a privileged position looking at people's physical and mental health and supporting them through very difficult personal times. And I think people don't realize how often bereavement is part of what you're trying to support. Everybody loses someone at some point in their lives who's meaningful to them. And how do you care for them through that process? How do you give them permission to take time away from work? How do you support individuals who want to come back to work right away because it's a solace? So how do you really look at all of that? And I think it's only now that externally those terms are starting to be used and to become more normalized. And I have a, I first got involved with Connect Place actually because we were offering evening meditation sessions. We did an eight-week course at David Suzuki, and we're looking for another nonprofit to partner with. And that's where I first sent some of the staff from Connect Place because they were our partner, little knowing that I would end up here in the end. So it's um we've been looking at all of this for years now, I would say, and I'm glad to see it becoming more normal to talk about it in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really evolved over the years and continues to evolve. I know the work that I've been focused on lately has been that of um, trauma and how do we help employees to prevent. And, you know, you mentioned Tend Academy, which is Francois Mathieu, and she has inspired a lot of our work on burnout. And she has also been talking about what she calls psychological PPE, which is how do you protect someone's psyche at work? Now, you know, yes, we need the masks and we need the gloves and all of those things, but how do you protect them from trauma? And so we're really looking at something that can be done at the level of the employee and the team that is preventative rather than waiting until somebody has symptoms. But the other issue that has come up is that of inclusion. And I'm just wondering if you can speak to what you do in your workplace to improve diversity, inclusion, um, that sense of belonging, that sense of mattering. So we, we do a number of different things. So we do have a diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging committee. 
So we've been working with a company called Vencia Global, and we created our own customized um, inclusion diversity statement, which is going to go up on our new website later this month and be included in our postings. And we're really looking at ways not to think of it as accommodation, but to be more proactive in our policies. So here's all the things we already have in place to support everybody. And they may support some individuals more than others, but more taking that proactive approach. We do a lot of training and development. We have a partnership with the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. We followed their benchmarks. We benchmark the organization against their global diversity benchmarks. We're on a continuous journey that's permanent to continue to improve and to learn from our staff. We do an engagement survey through an organization called Supporting Lines, which has very similar principles to Mindful Leader, and they integrate guarding minds and questions into the engagement survey, talking about safety and inclusion. Our new hires feeling the same way as someone who's been here for years is one team feeling less included than another. And we've seen really high scores that people consistently are having a safe, respectful experience at Canuck Place. And we do our best to make new hires feel as integrated as possible, even during COVID when they were mostly remote, and how to care for them and share personal pieces for them. Also recognizing that recognition, as we've talked about, is really key as well. So we created a calendar of care. So those who care for patients and families and people, which includes HR because we care for our staff and our volunteer group that care for our volunteers, the people that care for our buildings so that it is safe, physically safe to be here in a lovely work environment. So, and those like housekeeping and facilities, food services, all of those are included. We have a special day for everybody. So we try and value everybody equally. I think there's such a strong connection to what we do and every role here that it's not so much of an issue for us as it might be for a company, but we really try to emphasize if you took one person away, there's a gap. We couldn't offer the same level of service if that receptionist wasn't there. If that housekeeping person wasn't there, it would be a loss. So we really value everything that everybody does. Yeah, that's beautiful. Are you able to share your statement? Is it ready for prime time yet? It's going up there. I can... I can share it with you after this. I don't have it right to hand, but it will be right front and center on our website. I should also say we also have a truth and reconciliation committee and that's separate. And we're looking at what we can do as a healthcare facility to make it a safe work environment, recognizing traditionally healthcare has not been perceived as a caring partner for the indigenous community and how we want to change that. So even looking at some of the recommendations and looking at our art, our physical work environment, sacred space, all of these things, um, we're offering a course to staff um, that's about cultural inclusion through PHSA. All of our staff are expected to take it. And we're also offering this month um, for Indigenous Day coming up, Orange Shirt Day. All our staff get that as a ped day off because we recognize its importance. And we're offering 21 things you'd know about the Indian Act, which is a self-paced course, which is available to all staff as well. And we work with Indigenous partners, Indigenous links, to really try and reach that community and for us to be seen as a safe employer of choice to them as well, because we want to support all of our community. So 
Catherine, I'm sure there's people listening who go, this, this is just all too good to be true. It's like ideal. You're doing everything. You're doing it all well. Are there still challenges for HR? There's always going to be challenges. You know, I think for us, obviously, we're too committed on donations. So our challenges in particular are where, you know, we operate in Vancouver and Abbotsford. There's roles that can't work remotely. How do we support those individuals, especially looking at what housekeepers, food services, facilities are paid so they can choose to live in Vancouver and continue to work for us? So we just made a commitment this month that nobody in our organization would get paid less than 50000 a year based on their hourly rate because we really believe that's important. So we're watching that, you know, we're looking at, we offer free meals because we recognize the cost of food for people. So any of our staff in hospice have a free lunch every day um, along with their families. So we're looking at all of those pieces. There's a nursing shortage, you know, we're a double specialty. It's an ongoing issue for us to attract that quality staff because there are so few of them. So we really do need to make this the best workplace possible not just because it's the right thing to do, but because we want to attract those individuals so that they come and they stay with us as well. Mm-hmm. And depending on donations means that you're often um, worried about the bottom line. So you're you're offering a lot of things to attract and retain talent. But on the other hand, then there's the challenge of how do we pay for that? Absolutely. Yeah, I have to say our donors have been just absolutely amazing during this period of time. I think if you know about us, it's often a personal connection and our work is so amazing and everything that we do, our recreation program, the joy it brings to families, memory making, everything that we do just has such an impact. And I think donors really get that and they've really stepped up to support us during these times. Yeah, that's it's amazing. It is amazing what you do. And I would have to say that until I heard about Connect Place, I didn't even imagine a hospice specifically for children because it's something that we don't want to think happens often enough to require that. Yeah. And But it does. So I'm, I'm glad that you're there. I'm glad that you're doing it. If somebody wanted to donate to Connect Place, how would they do that? It's right on our website. Um, we're also all over social media with links as well. Um, we have a, we're going to be lighting up the hospice for Christmas. So there's a campaign that's going to be launching shortly as well to like that and how beautiful it looks. And if you're in the area, please come and see it. It's, it's covered in like, I think it's 40,000 lights. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, now I have one final question that I want to ask you. Um, and that is, how would you describe a psychologically healthy and safe workplace to somebody who doesn't understand the concept? What would it feel like to someone to be working there? I think it feels like any one can approach with concerns. So if you're hearing, as you just said, it sounds so amazing that what issues are there? If you're hearing about the issues, if people are feeling safe enough to come forward and say, you know, I didn't like when you said that, or, you know, why aren't you doing something about this? Or this could be improved. I think that actually really points to a safe work environment. 
that if people are able to voice their concerns about what they see as the worst aspects of an organization, it means there is safety. And if you're hearing that from anybody in the organization, it means there is real safety there too. And if people are coming forward and saying, I'm struggling, you know, I really need to take some time off. Is that all right? And you're like, of course. If they recognize what our policies are to support them and they're actually using them, I actually think that's a really good thing. Yeah, it's a really good, great indicator as opposed to those workplaces where everyone just smiles and nods, right? They're not going to yeah. speak up at all. The meetings are just one person talking and nobody else chiming in. And the some people can say, oh, look at they're all very polite and civil and respectful, but it's not necessarily psychologically safe. I would say, too, um, it's there's no surprises. So we do. Um, work with uh, another company called Thought Exchange because you recognize diversity of thought, introverts, extroverts, you know, how people feel about actually coming forward with feedback. So people can give us feedback in a safe way. We also do entry and stay interviews to really hear that feedback. In addition to X interviews, you don't want to know at the end why someone is leaving. And what we really find is people are leaving for personal reasons like health, family, relocation is actually a big one right now. And are they leaving for career progression? Because we are really small. So often we're hiring people that are starting off in their career and then they stay with us as long as they can, but then they're ready to go on to something else. And we also try and encourage that, recognizing they're taking our values out into the world and they'll speak about Connect Place as an amazing place to donate and work at, which only helps us ultimately. Well, that's it. You know, I had somebody um, from a big um, retail chain where they can only pay minimum wage. And they said, you know, like, that's all it is. So there's nothing we can do about that. But if, as you say, you make everybody an ambassador for that workplace, they're going to encourage people even though it's minimum wage, they're going to encourage people and say, this was a great experience. So yeah, you may not get paid the big bucks, but if you're looking for a job and you want a good experience, go here. Now, the fact that you try to provide a living wage to every single person who works there, I mean, that's the ideal. That's what we hope uh, employers can strive for. But even for those who cannot at this point, there's still opportunity to help. Um, Catherine, you've provided so much great information to everybody, but are there any final words that you would have, especially to those in HR who they're already burned out, they're already exhausted and listening to you, they think I'll never reach her level <laughs> of success. Um, what what can you say to them? I think that's a very kind thing to say. Um, I would say you have to model the behavior as well. So I took extensive time off this summer to go home to Northern Ireland and spend time with family. And I think it's been surprising to me since I came back. Many people have said it was really great to see you do that. I feel like I have permission to do that now as well. So I think it's that piece Yesterday, I spent a lovely day in the garden just chatting to people one-to-one because I was allowed up at the hospice. I think it's, we're in a privileged position in HR. It's not just about the policies or the compensation or the benefits. 
it's how do you tell the story to staff that they're there to care for them? It's not cold, hard data or information or really like disassociated policies that are just there. It's hard to explain to staff, these are all here to support you to have the best experience possible. And I think anybody can do that, looking at what they've already got in their organization. Mm -hmm. I, I love what you say though, because so many HR professionals take their job very seriously, but they don't take their own self-care seriously. And people react more to what they see than what they hear. And so, yeah, thank you for that advice. Um, so for those who are listening, um, whatever podcast uh, platform you use, click subscribe, and then you get to be inspired by people like Catherine Gordon more often. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Canada podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in North America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.